But maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. Santa? Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. As I walk through the aisle with videos on the shelf, I see the miss on the box and realize there's nothing else. Now, I've been watching wrestling for so long that every sense of good taste that I have is gone. We've been spending most our lives gripping up Camel Clutch Cinema. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. And this week on Camel Clutch Cinema, we are talking about an episode of The Greatest American Hero. Yes. A very cinematic television show. I found that a lot of these shows in the 80s, shows like The A-Team and Magnum P.I., all just felt like they were half a movie. You know, they were like a full movie in half the running time. Yeah, that's funny because when I was sitting down to watch this, even the flying scenes here in The Greatest American Hero, you know, they don't look that great by today's standards. But sure. back then, that was the equivalent of what you were seeing in a Superman movie. No, yeah, they they spent a lot of money on on a lot of these shows, and uh, this show, I remember uh, watching this show as a kid and being just dazzled by the opening sequence. The, they showed the uh, the sequence where you saw the spaceship come down, and oh, yeah. you know, he got the suit and everything. And I mean, there's nothing that fancy about it today, but back then it was it was a big deal. And the flying scenes, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the flaws in them. Uh, but it's uh, it was you know it was a big thing, and but they played like a movie too. If you look at uh, action shows in the seventies and and sixties, they didn't play like ones did in the nineteen eighties. The eighties, you know, they're really especially Stephen J. Cannell productions. There just seemed to be this real idea of let's let's do these as expensive as we can for television. And let's make it look like, you know, a motion picture. Now, I know today they do a lot of, you know, very high budget with uh, with with movie actors now in, in a lot of these like CSI and everything. They get big name actors. Uh, but in the 80s, this was this was still I mean, it was revolutionary. Oh, yeah. Now, I watched this episode on television, possibly in a rerun or whatever, but maybe I was watching this that night because this was a show I watched regularly. And we'll get to there's a couple things about this show that I remembered from from when I saw it as a kid that I still have, even though I've seen it a number of times since then, I still have memories of watching a couple scenes. And one of the things I didn't remember as a kid was Andre the Giant because this show aired in January of 1983, yeah. and I wasn't familiar with Andre the Giant at this point. Oh, right. You know, that's, that's an amazing point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, the, Andre the Giant uh, was was a, a, a world-class wrestler before the days of the WWF and WWE as we know it. Uh, but that really started when Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik about one year after the time that this aired. This aired January 13th, 1983. Uh, the Hulk Hogan... Iron Sheik match was like the 23rd of January, 1984. And then WrestleMania was a year and a couple months after that. 
And and it was that time period that wrestling became what we know it as. Now, during this time, Andre was still known around the world. And what he would do is a special attraction. So you'd have, you know, uh, a territory uh, like, you know, the Memphis Territory or uh, California Territory or the Von Erichs ter- Territory down south. And they would get Andre to come into their town and he would he would, you know, uh, do one show. He'd get a huge percentage of the gate, which was his thing, because he was such an attraction that people would drive. They didn't care who he was wrestling. They didn't care about anything else. And they'd go see him and he'd do one match. Maybe he'd do, you know, two weeks and then he'd be at the next place. So you'd get your chance to see him, but that but then you'd have to you'd have to wait a year, you know, until Andre came back around. And that was that was the way wrestling went for a long time. And it's something they can't do anymore. Uh, But imagine how exciting the great Kali or the big show would be if you only saw a person like that, not on television, but in person. So you had to go to your arena, which Think about this. The arenas then, they were generally weren't 20,000 seat arenas. You were talking about, you know, a thousand people, 2,000, 3,000 people, a smaller, you know, venue and a smaller show. And you'd see this monster come out and you'd only get to see him, you know, once or twice a year tops at a wrestling show. You know, it'd be a big deal. It wouldn't be, you know, like Kali backstage at the Elimination Chamber doing, you know, shtick with Santino <laughs> about playing with Legos. You know, yes. it would be, you know, you'd see him and you'd go, that man is a monster. That man is, you know, towers above all of us. I mean, it was a, it was a big deal. and It was kind of cool. Yeah, and the other amazing thing about Andre in general was we're going to talk about a, a a match of his later on in the show was at this stage in his career when this episode came out he was still incredibly incredibly agile for a guy his size. Oh yeah, he really was and and before this what's really great is to go back and google images of him from you know maybe 10 years before this and see Andre in the 70s he was a skinny guy and at this point he had gotten bigger but he wasn't this wasn't the great Kali this was you know he was much closer to the big show 10 years ago you know where he could move he could you know he could do what he needed to do he could do an elbow drop he could you know he could you know fall down he could do you know whereas great Kali it's like gingerly you know <laughs> falling down and you're always worried the man's going to hurt himself yeah Oof. so the, um, the name of this episode by the way is yeah. heaven is in your genes yes g-e-n-e-s yes and you have this whole series on dvd right i do and so um i love this show this show to me uh and watching it now i get it it was goofy it was stupid. I mean, it was definitely made for kids. This was a show that was designed, and this was a different era, which um, younger uh, people may not understand, but you only had one TV in the house. And so they had to put on a show that would entertain the majority of the people in the household. So the gimmick here was you got Robert Culp, who, who your dad would be like, oh, I like that guy. He's been on this, that, and the other thing. And they'd then some of the storyline would work for the adults, you know, but there was a lot of silliness that the adults would kind of shrug their shoulders at. And that's what the kids would get excited about. That, oh, he's flying. And, oh, he he lost the instruction manual for the suit. So he, you know, he does everything wrong. That's really funny to a kid. 
but this show is really corny and 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 this the unfortunate thing if you made it today it'd either be a hundred percent for kids or a hundred percent for adults but it would never be this product this era where things were very much you know made for all audiences you know really doesn't exist today and it, it that's what this show is a product of yeah it's funny because tv has sort of gone away from that model and Hollywood has sort of embraced the let's try and please everybody model. <laughs> yes. No, they definitely do. Um, but in general, also, audiences are theoretically more sophisticated than they were years ago. And and um, there were a lot of other things. I mean, you didn't have a rewind button back then. You couldn't. So, you know, they and they could get away with a lot of things. There's uh, there's a handful of um i guess editing errors you know camera crew visible kind of stuff in this that i'll point out that you could get away with because of the type of television and the way people watch television back then so i watched this show on a regular basis this was one of my favorite shows i used to check this out all the time what do you remember about this show when it first aired did you like this uh this series oh yeah cuz i was at an age where if you turned on the TV and saw a show where a guy was flying, regardless <laughs> of how uncoordinated he was when he flew, you were still watching a guy fly. Whereas at the time, you were either watching old episode uh, reruns of you know The Adventures of Superman with George Reeves mm-hmm. or you were seeing Superman in the theaters. Um, and a lot of times those weren't options to watch. So, yeah, this was definitely a show that I responded to as a kid and I remember watching – and the, and the theme song. Who can forget that theme song? Oh, so the theme song, you know, very famous. The uh, uh, look at what's happening to me. This is the song that George Costanza put on his answering machine <laughs> <laughs> on an episode of Seinfeld where he went, uh, believe it or not, George isn't at home. Leave a message at the beep. Uh, but this song was a hit. This song, when I was a kid, when this show was on TV, you'd be sitting in the back of the station wagon and a bunch of songs that you didn't care about would be on. And then all of a sudden, like Alabama's mountain music would end and you'd hear, dun, 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 and you'd be like, turn it up, turn it up, you know, <laughs> and you'd picture William Cat flying clumsily through the sky. And, uh, and, and, you know, this was, this was a great, great song. Yeah, on the DVD set you have, uh, it, mm-hmm. does it have the gimmick where you press the button on the front and it plays the song? Yeah, I believe oh. it does that on season three. I think. I think, I think so. it's like one of the odd seasons. I don't. It might be the first one, but I, I feel like it was just like somewhere in the middle. They were just like, hey, you know what? We can maybe make an extra couple bucks if we put a little voice box in there. Awesome. I love those. Um, there was also, you know, the one that you and I w- raced out and bought this DVD set, which we probably would have bought otherwise. But we bought the Dusty Rhodes set oh. because it had a recording of Dusty Rhodes talking. Yeah, I think I wore out the battery on that Dusty Rhodes DVD the first day I had it. 
Oh, I mean, it was just the best. He he was basically doing the son of the pl- son of a plumber, uh, you know, uh, uh, whining and dining with kings and queens and eating pork and beans, you know, um, sleeping in alleys. That that the famous you know Dusty Rhodes promo, and boy, it was just so great to hear. And it was just so odd, you know. It was like it was something that if you weren't a Dusty Rhodes fan, you were like, what on earth is he talking about? He's not even challenging anybody to a fight in this. <laughs> So let me uh, give a little backstory on this show. So the the plot of this show was that um, Robert Culp was an FBI agent. Uh, and, and when I was a kid, he was my favorite character on the show. He was this crotchety old man. Uh, he was your Archie Bunker of the series. And he was teamed up with William Catt, who was a young, uh, a very naive, I guess, school teacher. And his name was, was what was it? Was it Roy Hinckley? Um, I, yeah, well, it was, Which, it was Ralph. Ralph Hinckley. Hinckley. Uh, but and then they the, changed it. But here's the, yeah, so the, the, the reason was, what I'm getting at, though, is there was the assassin, attempted assassin of President Reagan had the same name. And so they wanted to... They they wanted to try to get away from him having the the name. I do believe in this episode they actually refer to him by name because I think I think what it was was first season it came on, then they just called him Mister H for a long time because yeah. you know like they didn't want the last name to be in there, so the the kids would all call Mister H. And then I think by this point it had been enough years that you know the name wasn't you know wasn't as big of a deal. But yeah, that was kind of interesting. Um, so he is, uh, he's kind of a, uh, not a complete boob, but he's, you know, he's not the most coordinated guy and not the slickest guy on earth. Yeah. Uh, and he's definitely not as cynical as, as Robert Culp's, uh, uh, Maxwell character. And he gets this alien spaceship comes to him in, in the first episode and they give him a super suit, which he can use to save people. And, and it comes with all these powers and it comes with a book, which they, immediately lose and so the whole series is him trying to figure out how to use his powers and that's kind of a very important conceit because he's not superman and even in this episode he has trouble at points with things he's trying to figure out you know how he can find out the information he needs because he never read the manual i remember there is an episode where he got another manual and uh he then lost that one by the end of that episode. Yeah, that's like the uh, the equivalent of like Gilligan and the and the rest of the oh. castaways getting off the island and then ending up back on the island. It totally is. So yeah, I this was um and, and I remember that like being just the most exciting thing, you know, that they had gotten the new manual and then they lost it. So here's what I remember when I watched this as a kid. The opening sequence of this episode, you see Robert Culp's character in his car driving and somebody comes up and and runs him off the road (laughs) and the car explodes and then they cut to a funeral. And we'll we'll go through it a little more detailed. But what I remember was when I saw this the first time, I thought for sure he was dead. And even watching it today, I remember feeling that and being uh, being devastated. And it it plays even knowing that, you know, I knew that this was not the final episode and that he was not going to be really dead. It still plays like that. Yeah. It's funny because I didn't, I couldn't remember if he had run through the entire series and I figured 
this episode was deep enough into what was their last season that mm-hmm. as, as the car explodes and they cut to the funeral, I said, wow, this is a pretty interesting episode for us to do because I assume that maybe Culp had, had, had you know, his contract had run out or wherever, whatever, and yeah. or they tried to make some changes to, you know, reinvigorate the series. But, I you know, so I, I was very pleasantly surprised when he pops back up. So here's Bill Maxwell, and he's played by Robert Culp, who we saw in the Bill Goldberg film uh, oh, Santa, uh, Santa uh, Slay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so here he is. He's driving in his car, <laughs> and he's got a donut on the dashboard and a cup of coffee, and he's listening to talk radio, and he's complaining at the radio. And this was the kind of stuff, the character stuff, that I really liked about him. And there's another quirk at the very end of the episode that I I totally loved as a kid. Um, But here's something that's kind of fun to watch about this. Number one, he's not wearing a seatbelt, which no one did back then. It was really seatbelts existed in cars. They may not have even had them in this car, uh, but People didn't wear them. This was, you know, my grandparents would get a car and they would cut the seatbelts out of it because they were uncomfortable to have these things on the. Uh, nobody wore them. It was. It wasn't even just like some people didn't wear them. Like today, I mean, today it's very rare that you get in a car with somebody that doesn't wear one. Yeah, it's but it's like such a habit now. Yeah, I mean, I always, you get in, you put it on. It's just everybody's used to doing it. I do know I I have a a friend who's in his 50s who every time he gets in my car will drive like a half a mile and the car will keep going, ding, 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 ding. And he'll be like, when does that stop? And I'm like, no, it doesn't stop. It does that to tell you to put your seatbelt on. He's like, I can decide if I want to put a seatbelt on. I'm like, yeah, and we can listen to it ding the rest of the way. It's, there's no other option. Um, I I know I even had the first car that my grandmother had that had seatbelts that dinged. She would buckle the seatbelt and then get it on top of it. Yeah. You know, it was just people didn't didn't wear them. So he's not wearing them. But what I think is more interesting and really forgotten is he's putting his cup on the dashboard. And the reason is cup holders were not a common thing in cars when we were kids. They you know, cup holders were a big deal when they came out. Oh, yeah. So you would put your cup on the dashboard. And if you stopped your car like he has to, it's going to go fly. And now they don't show that. And I'm surprised that there was no payoff with it. But, yeah, you, you'd put your Dixie cup of coffee on your on your dashboard and drive around. So this big truck is like pushing him off the road and he his car burst into flames. Uh, we cut to his funeral and William Katz disappointed that more people didn't show up to the funeral. But there is this one mysterious family. Yeah, that um, describe him in ways that are completely the opposite of. Yeah, the character the, that William Cat knows. <laughs> That's right. This is they're saying he was such a nice man. He's like, yeah, but he was outspoken too, right? And he's like, they're like, no, he was such a sweet and quiet man. And he's like, what are you talking about? Um, and so they find out they're at the wrong funeral. And this, I mean, this is one of those things where you're like. Well, what did we do all that for? <laughs> the only thing that's good about it is there's a gag in it because this show essentially in a lot of ways is a comedy. And the gag is that they literally pick up their little bouquet of flowers and take it with them as they walk away from the funeral. Yeah, and then there's a payoff at the end. But one thing I wanted to point out about the car at the beginning is apparently um, Maxwell was a Hunter S. Thompson fan 
because he says one of Hunter S. Thompson's famous lines, uh, when the going get weird, uh, the weird go pro prior to getting run off the road, which, ah. which I thought was interesting. And I'm, I'm not sure who wanted to work that in the script, but whoever they were, they were, uh, Big, oh, interesting. Uh, Hunter Thompson fans. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know. I mean, I didn't recognize the line. I don't know enough about Hunter S. Thompson, I guess, to, to know that line. But, yeah, he's listening to talk radio, and they're talking about going back to, like, school mm-hmm. at, when you're in your 50s. And he's like, yeah, these people are nuts. These people are crazy. He's like, you might as well take a bingo if you're in your 50s. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, essentially what he's, he's yelling at his radio. Uh um, so William Cat, what I'm always struck by when I was a kid was when, when Sid Vicious, Psycho Sid, Sid Justice showed up on wrestling television, he looked to me like a real hawked up William Cat. He looked like a steroided up monster William Cat. And so whenever I see this show now, I'm so used to Sid that I see Sid Udi, you know, whenever I see William Cat. So it's almost like I see a dwarfed down version of Sid. And I just I think this show would have been so much better if at the end they had used Sid as his stunt double for the big battle <laughs> with Andre the Giant. Uh. So they they go back to Bill's apartment and you, they're they're reiterating what a a great agent he was, you know, and they're going through all of his stuff and he's got a, a little, um, uh, uh, lamp that's a trophy with a foot on it because he caught the barefoot bandit in the 50s and uh, they look at his his hat you know he's got like a, a fisherman's hat and they read his journal and he talks all about William Cat and it's real sweet and then all of a sudden you know William Cat's character is like wait a minute I'm getting a sense of something I'm I'm seeing that he's 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 coming to me and he's he must not be dead because heaven can't have for mica countertops and vinyl boots i'm looking at him in a rundown airport uh, uh diner yes and here he's with um the connie i guess the selica. female character yeah. on the show connie selica yeah a mrs john tesh that's right yes john tesh the uh the enter- entertainment tonight guy right Is yes that, and uh, new age musician that's right. Very famous musician. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was. He was married. Darling. The only reason I know that is because Regis Philbin once in a rant about him mentioned Connie Selica. Um, <laughs> I can only imagine how I could listen to Regis Philbin rant about John Tesh all day. I guarantee it. Oh, it'd be fantastic. <laughs> that, would, that should be its own show. So, yeah, Pam, uh, you know, was was William Katz's character's girlfriend, Ralph's girlfriend at this point. And uh, I think he always called her kid, if I remember correctly. Yes. Every time, you know, he would see her, he'd always be like, you know, hey, kid. So um, we see uh, we see him go flying. You know, uh, Ralph goes flying to try to. Uh, uh, to get to this airport cafe and a cop shows up because Pam called the cops at his request. And he's totally ignoring this cop because he's looking for clues, you know, and, and getting this weird psychic vibe, you know, that, Ooh, you know, Bill must've touched this cause I'm getting a sense from it. And, you know, I'm getting a sense from this and I'm, I'm getting a sense of where he is and that he's still alive. And he ties the cop up. That's really played for laughs. The cop is a little ridiculous. And then we we go to uh, we see uh, uh, Maxwell. He's alive. He's with uh, like Doctor Striegel, who is this is essentially the island of Doctor Moreau plot. 
I mean, yes. essentially it is. I think that's what they were going for. I think they were, you know, The Island of Dr. Moreau is a very famous book. It was written well over 100 years ago at this point. It's one of my favorite books, and it's been adapted into a feature film in, in multitude of different ways. The the famous two are The Island of Lost Souls, uh, which is an older black and white film, and then the 1996 film, I think, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau with Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando. Uh, but it's also been adapted in in ways like this into a bunch of different there's you know there's a lot of films a lot of like low budget horror films that essentially said hey you know it's just like it's like remaking Frankenstein it's a story that's that old and they just say hey you know what we're not going to call it Dr. Moreau but essentially that's what's going on and that's what I really felt was going on you know he was modifying humans and and doing weird you know experiments on them on this little like you know private secluded island yeah, and then it had a, a little bit of the the most dangerous game injected into the plot as well, where you know you had man hunting man. Right. Well, that's yeah. That's that is one of the most, uh, and I don't even know if overused is the right word because I I like it and I think it's almost always good, but it's one of the most used plots in all of television and film. I mean, there's there's an episode going back to Gilligan's Island where yeah. the, a guy goes to the island to hunt Gilligan. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> so uh, so we meet this one scientist who has a conscience, and he's saying, you know, I don't know that this is right to be experimenting on a human being and turning him into Andre the Giant. <laughs> That's the funniest thing in this this whole episode. They sort of tease Andre, and they keep stressing, you know, the, the, the good doctor keeps stressing, don't forget that he's human. <laughs> right. Yeah, because... And then we see Andre, and I'm, expe- I'm I'm like, oh man, Andre's going to be in some kind of crazy makeup. This is probably going to outdo the makeup he wore, you know. Um, in in you know, Conan? yeah, yeah. But uh, at, when yeah, we get well, to Conan, it, Conan the Destroyer, he plays like a monster in yeah. that, you know, where he's all made up. Yeah, that's what I was expecting here, and and we get. You get Andre, but yes. here's the thing. If you had never seen Andre in 1983, I don't remember the Andre character, but I'm pretty sure I was pretty impressed by this guy that was that big. You know, I'm pretty sure I was overwhelmed because even looking at it side by side, when you see him, him with William Cat, their heads are not, they don't appear to be from the same species. Yeah. Uh, so we, we get a lot of jokes about don't drink the water. That's like a running gag is, you know, oh, oh, I drank the water, you know, don't drink the water. It'll make you sick to your stomach. And then, uh, William Katz character steals some clothes from a clothesline. Now this was a gag that was used in a lot of episodes of the incredible Hulk where he would Hulk out, rip his clothes and he'd have to take some off a clothesline. And so he'd put money, you know, to pay for the clothes. Yeah. But in this, they they do a twist on it where there's a woman there doing the laundry as he's taking it. And then she sees the $10 and immediately starts putting other clothes up in hopes that she could make some more money off this magic clothesline. (laughs) So uh, he rents a room and the guy's like, you know, you don't ask about people here, my friend. Don't ask about anybody. And the William Cat, you know, like strong arms him because he does have the power of this suit. 
And so we then see they're, they're drugging Maxwell, and it's like a poison that'll reach him if he doesn't do some stuff that they need him to do in some convoluted uh, bad guy scientist plot. But yeah. we then go back to the scene that I also remember very well from when I was a kid. And this is the bar scene where he gets drunk, and they the guys, he goes into the bar, and they're like, we serve whiskey here we don't serve soda we serve tequila for men you know and so they did the whole thing with the salt on the hand the lemon and the tequila shot and i had never seen this in my life before this and i remembered it clearly clearly for years after this and i remembered this scene because that's the first thing that william Cat's character does and he kind of chokes on it which in retrospect what a wuss i mean you know i don't know what kind of tequila they were maybe it was really bad tequila but come on the other guy swallowed it like it was nothing yeah but and i'm thinking william Cat's character is a grown-up he's probably had some tequila in his life i mean he, he you know so he spits it out like it's poison, but then they cut to the next scene and he's super drunk. You know, he's Superman in the bar at uh, in Superman uh, three. You know, just getting hammered, and he's he's wearing his his super suit in front of them. The one guy's wearing the cape, and they're like, "Oh, this American, he loves to get drunk in his red pajamas." <laughs> And so he's smoking a cigar and he's drunk. And I, I, this scene really was one of the, one of the standout scenes and, and was the second scene in this episode of the two scenes I remembered, uh, for, you know, the rest of my life. It was always, you know, oh yeah, this scene. I, you know, cause as a kid, I don't know what it is. Some scenes would stick out in your mind for whatever reason and other scenes would just float away into the ether as they ended. Um, so we get this scene where he goes flying with Pam on his back and she's like you never did this before and he's like no never uh he's like i always wanted to and you know i really expected to get some can you read my mind yeah. can you see what i'm thinking a little can you read my mind a little <laughs> superman action uh and and there's also there's room for a punchline that's not done where she goes she goes you didn't even do this with maxwell and he goes no, no, not even with Maxwell. And the punchline, I think, should have been, you didn't even do this with Maxwell? And he goes, no, especially not Maxwell. I mean, to me, that yeah. would be the the funnier and the more logical end to that sentence. It's like something that really doesn't pay off in this episode and is just kind of a weird quirk that they threw it in there. I guess they were starting to wrap up the show and they said, hey, why not, uh, you know, why not, you know, let her fly for this episode. Now, here's what I was going to point out about uh, about mistakes in the film. One of the one of the things you will see and you did see when he punched the door is you could really see the fake wood. Yeah. You know, it's clearly not wood. Uh, but I think that older televisions were softer and more forgiven. You know, the, the image was grainier and softer and you would forgive Things like that, because it it would go by in an instant. And you couldn't really go back. I mean, even if you recorded it, you'd have to wait to watch it back later, and you you wouldn't record it. I mean, videotapes were expensive. You know, you didn't have a DVR to go. Wait a minute, was that door made out of plywood? And you know, and hit the button, and be like, no, it was plaster. You know, um, 
But the other thing is, during this flying scene, you can see a little bit of the rig they're standing on. And you can also, during another flying scene, which is repeated a couple times, you see the helicopter reflected that was shooting the plate that he's superimposed on top of. That's now, awesome. The thing about this, though, is both of these things are in the corners and, you know, the bottom and the corners of the screen. And your television screen back then would would overscan. And so essentially it, it, it you wouldn't see the whole image. What you look at now, you look at a square image. And even with these old shows, the show was a square image, but people were watching it on a rounded tube that would cut out a significant amount of space all the way around, especially on the corners. And so it's very likely that that what we see on the DVD, people could not see on their television at all in 1983. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't so, you, you tell me that um, another show that um, you notice a lot of stuff on is is stuff on the background in, in Cheers? Yeah. Um, there, Cheers, I'd notice. There's, there's a lot of shows that you would notice things like that. But yeah, Cheers, you could read things on the, on like the digital version. You could like, they'd be standing in front of, there's a scene, the, the very specific one I think you're talking about is they're standing in front of a newspaper and that show's set in Boston and you can read that it says Los Angeles Times on the newspaper that's framed on the wall. And I've been to the Cheers bar and the, the newspapers that are framed on the on the wall were literally just the front pages of newspapers that they pulled off the newsstand like the day they started shooting, stuck them in a frame and put them on the wall because nobody could see it. You know, it's before the days of high definition television. People really were incredibly, you know, the TV wouldn't wasn't sharp enough for you to see any of that stuff. So, you know, there would often be things that, you know, you just wouldn't be able to make it out. But now you could totally see it. I did a tour of uh of um the studio warner brothers studio in hollywood and at the time this was uh probably close to 10 years ago maybe maybe even a little bit more and they were switching everything over to hd and one of the things that they pointed out we were on the set of er uh and they said that you know that on the wall here they said you know this this used to be a list of names and there would be inside jokes up there you know they'd put the names of you know they'd make fun of people or things that were in the news because the tv camera couldn't pick it up but they said when they switched to high definition it could, and they all of a sudden had to take that down and put real medical stuff on the wall. Yeah. And they said the other thing was, oh, they were like, on this wall, there was a door that was literally just painted on the wall. They just painted a door, you know, drew a black, painted a black line down the middle, and it, it painted a doorknob, and that was all you needed because it was kind of out of focus in the background and you wouldn't see it. But they said now that it's in high definition, we had to bring a real door in and install it here because people at home can see that stuff. So, yeah, no, that's one of the most fun things if you watch – old you know Sanford and Sons great because you can see things that you were never supposed to be able to see you know and you can sometimes you'll see you'll pick up stuff like you can see characters like waiting for their cue slightly out of camera range but you can see them because the picture's so sharp yeah that's great it really is. So, um, so we then now we're getting to. There's a talk with the scientist. He's like, "Look, I scientifically I like this, but I don't know if we should be making an army of Andre the Giants." And then we now get to the the big deal. We get the the bad guy, the Doctor Moreau character is like, 
they want Andre, they're getting Andre. And he goes over to the cell where Andre is. And here's where a series of wacky events happen that just cracked me up. First, he puts the thug, puts his gun down, leans it against the wall so he could do like the code or the lock or whatever to open the door. Now, I wasn't paying attention to what he was doing because the gun falls and it bounces. And no one even bats an eyelash at a gun falling, which in any other television show, it would go off. Now, I think in real life, if a gun falls, it generally doesn't go off. But in television, it always goes off. And at this time, it just bounces. And then they open the door. Dr. Moreau goes in, we see Andre's big giant hand grab him and push him out, and then the walls, the stone walls shake like they're made out of rubber. Yes. <laughs> because they're made out of rubber. That was amazing when I, uh, you would give me the heads up to look for that, um, and it's, it's, it's really hard to, to, to miss it's- that. It's campy and laughable. I mean, it is really, really ridiculous. Andre bursts through the door like the whole set shakes and wobbles and just about falls over. And this is where we see that Andre, this hideous monster, is wearing like white dress clothes that are a little dirty. Yeah, and like sneakers. Yeah, I don't know who dressed this monster. (laughs) I expected Andre to be like in a furry suit or something. I totally yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> that was the thing. I mean, you don't see him until the end of the episode, so I'm like, oh man, the build up here is great. I mean, it's gonna be I can't wait to see what they've done to Andre. At worst, it looks like Andre the Giant after a two night bender. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's a, his clothes are a little dirty, his hair's unkempt, but that's it. You know, there's not, you know, there's there's nothing nothing terrible going on on this man. He's even clean shaven. Yeah, which I guess that was something they had worked into the uh, genetic engineering was uh, a way to, I guess, stunt beard growth. So Andre picks up Ralph, uh, and you see Ralph's stunt double. He then uh, picks up Bill, and we really see Bill's stunt double, who I think did not look very much like Bill. Um, They shoot Andre in the back with a dart, and it barely does anything to him. He's like, and he runs after him. And then Andre tries to shake the tree to get him out of the tree. He pushes he pushes a jeep on top of William Cat, and then William Cat gives him a Goldberg spear, (laughs) maybe an edge spear, but it's total spear, spear, spear. And he takes Andre out with a spear. Andre does one of those where he gets back up and, you know, William Cat's going to punch him, but he doesn't need to because Andre falls back down. And they're like, what should we do? You know, and they're like, well, he's human. You know, that's like the big lament is, well, you see, he is human. Uh, and that wraps up the story there. You know, that wraps up everything that needs to be wrapped up. We've the monster has been taken out. I think the scientist might even be dead because he got clobbered so bad by Andre. These these bad people were foiled by their own monster, right? Mm-hmm. So we then cut back to 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 uh, Maxwell's house, and he's lamenting that people didn't show up at his funeral, and he's eating dog biscuits, which was one of the things that endeared me to his character as a kid. Um, I've since heard that that was something he brought to the role, that he brought the um, the dog biscuits to the role, and they were real dog biscuits that he would eat. Uh, he said uh, Robert Culp apparently was rather fond of chewing on dog biscuits. So tell me the payoff to the gag from earlier on. 
he uh, Maxwell, I guess, gets home in time to get the mail, and he has a bill from the the cemetery and funeral home for the burial of the man that that family confused him for. So <laughs> for some reason, he has to pay for that guy's funeral. And that's the big gag we go out on, but not before Pam comes in and goes, burger alert, burger alert, which is how I want to announce hamburgers from now on for the remainder of my life. Yes. Before we get to our second half of the Andre the Giant feature, let's do the tap or no tap on this. Uh, I'll do mine first. I thought. As I was watching this episode, I was like, this is not one of the better episodes of this show. I, I should probably tap out to this. And I was thinking Andre isn't, doesn't show up till the end. And, and, and then when it, by the time it ended, I just kept thinking, I really want to go back and watch more episodes of this show. And so my final verdict is that this, I think this, is what that show was. I think this is not one of the best episodes. So if you're looking for an episode of this show, you know, to start with, I, I probably wouldn't start with this one. I actually would probably start. I really like the uh, pilot, uh, which I think is a two-parter. might even be a three-parter. Uh, but I would recommend that you go to that if you want to check this out. There's also a pretty good video game, like Mazes and Monsters D&D &D episode, uh, which is fun to check out. Um, but... If you uh, want to see Andre the Giant in a TV show, I'm going to say I don't tap out to this. I, I had fun watching this again. It brought back a lot of memories. What about you, Craig? Yeah, I'm going to pretty much fall right in line with you where I thought to myself, wow, he's really done a lot of flying in this episode, <laughs> which uh, is enough to hold my attention. And I had the same feeling while we're watching this. I thought to myself – out of all the opportunities I've had over the years to buy this series on DVD, why do I not own it? Yeah, you got to go get it. It's, and I think they may have put out a new set on Blu-ray. And if they haven't, that's what I would wait for. Because yeah. they, there's got to be some great bonuses. Now, I'll tell you this. If you go on eBay right now, you can buy yourself a suit. Oh. There's, there's a couple like close replicas there's one that i think claims to be legit and then there's some lower end costumes with a crazy curly hair wig i might be dressing up as uh as the greatest american hero not just for halloween but for every sunday for the rest of my life Craig. <laughs> and we've actually seen some greatest american hero cosplay we we have you know what um uh we should mention this because this was actually really sweet we got to see the two the two leads from the show uh, Bob Culp has passed away since then but we got to see them at at Chiller Theater maybe five years ago maybe a little bit more yeah probably yeah you know maybe uh, seven years ago yeah mid to late to uh, uh early uh, mid to late aughts. Yeah, whatever they call those numbers. But yeah, somewhere around that. And we saw the two of them together. And the problem was, I think it was like 45 bucks to get a picture with both of them together. Uh, separately, I wasn't as interested in getting them. I, I kind of wanted Bob Culp uh, because I really liked him as a kid. But I, I kind of was like, you know, I mean, the problem with those conventions, and I tell people this, that the problem is you go there and you have to pay for each autograph. And there comes a point where it's, you know, you're just taking your childhood heroes and stacking them in an order based on a lot of different things, how they look. Yeah. And, and these guys both look very much the same. You know, they, they hadn't aged terribly. Sometimes you'll be like, that's that guy. And you'll be like, huh, 
I don't think I want to get a picture with him. You know, he, he looks very strange and I don't, I would never recognize him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, part of me feels bad that I didn't get the picture, but another part of me is just really glad that I got to see those two guys exactly. talking to each other, giggling. I mean, we watched them for a long time. We almost creepily stood there, you know, 20 feet away. We're like, look at them. Look at them talking to each other. They're like having a good time. Yeah, and Culp was in, and it's, I don't remember many conventions appearances where he was sitting in a, like, um, like a high director's, director's chair, chair mm. which was really, really cool. Cause a lot of times, you know, they're in like either just, you know, a, a desk chair or, uh, you know, a, you know, a real comfy folding chair or something. But here it was like, I don't know, man, he must have had a good deal cut out with the, uh, with the chiller folks. Cause, you know, well, no matter where that. you were, you saw him. Yeah, well, that's true. I wonder if there's because I know Larry Hagman was on one as well. I wonder if it may be an older guy thing where they were able to stretch their legs out. Oh, maybe, you know what? That's on, a good point. On the higher chair, you know, that maybe there was some, you know, orthopedic reason for it. But whatever the reason, we saw them together. And as you mentioned, we saw a dude dressed up as the greatest American hero getting his picture with the two of them. And that. Is God? I hope that is framed in giant form on that man's wall. I'd imagine it is. It might so even other... be tattooed. Like he might have brought it to yes. a tattoo artist and said, "You know, do one of those uh, those portrait tattoos." That's right. Maybe right across his back. Right on his back. Oh. <laughs> so the so this is on YouTube. You can find this episode. Heaven is in their jeans in the jeans in the jeans uh greatest american hero you can find this right now on youtube somebody put it up there and youtube recommended to me when i watched this uh a video cassette that i had and i said craig we got to watch this as well <laughs> and this was andre the giant the missing matches and let me bring you back to to when i was a probably a late you know, like a, a late teens, probably close to when I was old enough to get in a car and drive, you know, so probably mid to late teens, 16 years old, 15 years old, maybe even 17. Uh, a friend of mine and I really liked wrestling and we were at uh, like a, a maybe like Kmart. I think it was Kmart. And we we're going through all the wrestling uh, video cassettes that were, were out and all the WWF ones were ranged in price from like 30 to like 10 but then we found these tapes for two dollars and 50 cents called the missing matches and so we bought andre the giant the missing matches we went back to his house and we watched it and we were so enamored with the cool wrestling matches from the mid-south you know like bill watts territory but more than that, we were so enthralled with the really horrible production quality <laughs> that we went back and bought all the other missing matches that we got the Randy Savage one. We got the King Kong Bundy one. Uh, we got all the missing matches. And so I was so glad that this is on YouTube. You can watch it. I went ahead and watched my video cassette copy just to get the full experience. And then I went and verified that it didn't change any, that nobody edited anything and changed anything on the, on the YouTube clip. So Andre, the giant, the missing matches, Craig, what did you think? What is your overall impression of this? Um, you would give me advance warning about what to expect <laughs> here. And I'm glad you did because it's very, very misleading. 
Oh, all right. So it's called Andre the Giant, the Missing Matches. Now, we get this montage at the beginning, which is clips mostly from it's from this series, but it's mostly from this video cassette. So it's like it's like with music, it's like do 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 you know, that kind of music, you know, real generic music. And over top, you know, the music, we're, we're seeing like some credits. It's like 3G productions. You know, they were really fast on their cell phone coverage back in the 1980s, <laughs> this company, I guess. Uh, and we see that they're presenting Andre the Giant, the missing matches. And then it gets to the end and we see at the very last clip, we see Andre the Giant, you know, uh, cover Ernie Ladd for a pinfall. And then it's like, dun, 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 dun. and then this goofball shows up on my screen, this bloated weirdo. And he's like, hello, wrestling fans. Welcome to Andre the Giant, the missing matches. And he he's like, this is really the best of wrestling. And he's really a total, total turd. Yeah, this is like the kind of guy that like Tony Schiavone makes fun of. Yes, yeah, that's exactly it. I looked this guy up and I could find nothing about him. So I don't know. I assume he was like maybe an executive with this country company, uh, 3G Produ- Productions. But he's like, let's uh, let's take a look at Andre the Giant's first match. And then he like reaches over to the controls and pretends to know what he's doing. You know, <laughs> kind of touches them. And so then we see a match, Afa and Sika. And Sika's S.I. C-A at this point, uh, later became S-I-K-A, and Sika is Roman Reigns' father, I believe. Uh, Afa and Sika tagged up with Ernie Ladd, which I thought was a really cool combo, but the other side, really awesome, Andre, Dusty, and JYD. This is a 10-minute match. It's predictable, but it was a fun match. You enjoyed this one, I'm assuming. Oh, oh yeah. There were a couple spots that I really, really dug, and I talked earlier in the episode about Andre and how agile he was yeah. at this period. The uh, the Samoans, they basically do – it's not really – well, whatever they do, they get Andre off his feet, and you know he basically does a flip. Right, they, right. They flip him over. Yeah. Um, which anytime a big guy like that, anytime their feet get above their head, <laughs> you get nervous, you get nervous. But then when it happens, you're like, wow, that was awesome. Yeah. And then in a non Andre related awesome moment, JYD headbutts a Samoan and right. the Samoan sells it. Yes. Which is so rare. And I guess JYD, I he had the hard noggin. So right. this was like, you know, they were like, how do we book this? And Irresistible Samo- force versus the immovable <laughs> yeah. object. And Something I was amazed. Had to give. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is, I was like, the Samoan sold it. I was like, that might be the first time I've ever seen that. If I had paused the tape at that point and and said, you know, is it, who's going to sell or is neither going to sell? I think I would assume neither will sell. That would yeah. be the but uh, I, I, you know, it would be a flip of the coin. Yeah. As to yeah. Which of those guys went. Yeah. And then, of um, course, you have Dusty, who was. I have yet to see a match from Dusty Rhodes that isn't entertaining. This was, the, and this was really the prime of Dusty's career. This was a good match. I mean, this was just a standard TV match, but it's pretty good. Six man tag, six headliners, and Andre covers Ernie Ladd for the pin in ten minutes. At which point, I said, "Oh yeah, we saw this during the opening <laughs> credits of the video." Spoiler set. alert! <laughs> Thank you. And then that guy comes back on. He's like, wasn't that awesome? That was Andre the Giant, and he's great. And now let's watch Paul Orndorff. And you're like, 
Wait a minute. What? Paul Orndorff versus Andre the Giant? Nope. No, we are done with Andre the Giant at this point, and thankfully we're done with this goofball. He's finished as well. He's gone to the showers. He doesn't come back, and neither does Andre the Giant. The rest of Andre the Giant, the missing matches, has no Andre the Giant on it. And this reminds me of uh, companies do this. I have no idea why. There's a lot of companies that put out these public domain cartoon sets. And, and I noticed at one point I bought two sets. I bought a Popeye set and a Betty Boop set. And the Popeye set had one Popeye cartoon and then like had Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, had a bunch of Caspers, had, you know, like a bunch of different cartoons. And then I put in the Betty Boop one. It had two Betty Boops and then the rest were all Popeye cartoons. And I was like, who was the guy labeling this? This could have been so easily done where you could have, this could have been the Popeye set and the other one could have been miscellaneous. They always would say, and friends. But this, they don't even say Andre and friends, the missing matches. This is just Andre's missing matches. And it's one match. Yeah. Second match. Tony Charles versus Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff, a five-minute match, goes back and forth. Not a bad match. Paul looked really good in this, uh, and this was kind of a fun, you know, a fun match and probably the second-best match on the tape. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, they kind of go downhill slightly, you know, each one. And I think the idea is I really feel like the people that made this didn't expect anyone to get to the end. Yeah, so you know, like. We'll yeah. wear you down. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll put the good stuff up front, and then you're not going to make it to the last one. So the last one's, you know, squash match. Yeah, it's funny because as I was watching this, I slowly started to start doing other things. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> how it works. Um, the third match is a title match for, like, the Mississippi Heavyweight Championship. Cowboy Bob Orton, so this is Randy Orton's dad, uh, against Jimmy Garvin. And this is Jimmy Garvin before he had – all the flashy gimmicks. So this was, you know, pretty standard, no nonsense, Jimmy Garvin. Uh, also a decent match. Uh, Bob Orton wins in about five minutes. And then we go into the last two matches, which are jobber matches. Uh, we get Iron Sheik versus King Cobra. What'd you think of King Cobra? <laughs> I, I, Probably couldn't pick him out of a lineup right now. So, <laughs> well, I I looked him up because I did not know King Cobra. So I went over to Wikipedia and they didn't know King Cobra, but obsessed with wrestling did. Uh, his name is Jimmy Kimball. Uh, he is he is most likely still around. There's no information on him passing, so I like that. Uh, born in 1948, uh, from the from Memphis, Tennessee, six foot one, 240 pounds. Trained by Al the Spider Galento. Uh, debuted in 1971 and had notable feuds with two guys that are on the WWE roster, Dutch Mantel, who is Zeb uh, Coulter. Coulter today, and then Jerry the King Lawler. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Uh, and his career highlights included uh, – a, a 2006 Memphis wrestling match where him and Ken Wayne defeated Porkchop Cash with Mad Dog. So uh, that sounds awesome, just the fact that he was still kicking it in 2006. And he was also he, he was on the winning side of a match in 1980 at the Superdome Spectacular, Craig, which had to be spectacular or else they couldn't advertise it as such. 
<laughs> they couldn't. <laughs> I um I I the the final uh the final match after the Iron Sheik beating the hell out of King Cobra, by the way. They mentioned that they had fought before and that King Cobra had gotten the better of him, but not in this match. Sheik just beats the hell out of him, you know, to the point that I got nervous for him at points. I was like, is this gonna be the one where Sheik actually kills a man in the ring? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then we get a guy named Zapata, who I believe was Carlos Zapata, fighting against Mr. Olympia. And I've looked up this card. This is another squash match, not a very good one. But I looked up this card, and what I was able to find out was in 1982, on the 14th of January, so about, we're talking about, uh, uh, one year, almost exactly from the day that this episode of The Greatest American Hero debuted, Ernie Ladd and the Samoans fought against Andre the Giant, Dusty Rhodes, and Junkyard Dog on Mid-South Wrestling. Wow. And this was the match that we watched. The Also on that card was, uh, was Bob Orton when he was still holding the title. And the rest of these matches all followed a few weeks after that. So if you, you know, like all of these matches were from the early part of 1982. So about one year before this. Uh, and, and it was really a good round robin of these guys. Like, you know, Paul Orndorff fought against Mr. Olympia in February. You know, Junkyard Dog fought against the Wild Samoans again, but this time with Mike George as his tag team partner. Uh, Paul Orndorff fought against B. Brian Blair at one point. Uh, Bob Orton Jr. was was in a tag team match against Ted DiBiase and Mr. Olympia. I mean, there were, you know, all of these guys seemed to show up and these matches all showed up at some point, but they weren't all from the day, same day. So for some reason, this was the the best they could do. And I honestly feel it was like they were like, we'll split up the stuff so that we can put a little bit here, a little bit there. They'll wet their beak and then they'll move on to the next one. Yes. So, um, what do you think on on Andre the Giant the missing matches? What's your what's your final word on it? And and do you tap out to it? Oh goodness! For the Andre match alone, I think it's it's worthwhile, especially since you can watch it on YouTube. Even though I am looking at it right now in its VHS form on Amazon for seven dollars and ninety cents, <laughs> which it is not worth. No, do not pay that much for it. Um, but I'm going to say that um, if I am counting the whole 30 minutes, I'm going to have to. It's hard, right? Yeah, I'm going to have to tap. But if you just watch the 10 minutes of Andre and then turn it off, um, it's fine. But I think also, t- too, if you want to see a snapshot of yeah. of wrestling from a certain time, yeah, if you want to see, you know, if you're you're into seeing some old wrestling that, you know, that may not be in the WWE's library and may not show up on the WWE network, you know, this is worth checking out. But here's the thing, Craig. We have to deduct points for this goofy guy announcing things, for the spoiler at the beginning, and then for this unforgivable flaw at the end of this. And this is not a mistake on one copy of this because I've seen more than one VHS and I've seen the copy on YouTube. This is how this this whole thing ends. The match ends. There's, uh, I think, a sleeper hold is applied and uh, uh, the the match ends and it it doesn't even fade to black. It cuts to black. It just cuts <laughs> to black. The commentator is like, well, that looks like that'll do it. He uh, gets the win. 
<laughs> You're like, and what? And then we get black and then we get static. And that's it. And what I always remember was the first, uh, the, the one that cracked us up the most was the, uh, Randy Savage missing matches, which I have shown you for two reasons. One was, uh, the, uh, the part I'm mentioning, which is the very end, which would be Lance Russell going, the match is over. And then it just went to black. He didn't even get the word over out. Uh, but number two was a promo that you and I laughed about for the longest time. We just kept watching it over and over. And it was Randy Savage giving a promo where he just, he had, you know, one of those little brain freezes where he lost his train of thought and he just kept going. And so he's like, you're gonna, you're gonna lose unless, 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 unless I'm gonna beat you. But it was like, you could tell by the third unless that Randy didn't know where he was heading with this series of unlesses. Yeah, that's an amazing, amazing promo. So I'm tapping out to it for that, but I'm still recommending it. So I tap out because this is so poorly made, but I loved it as a kid because it was so goofy. I love it today because it's so goofy and it's some good old time wrestling. You're a hardcore wrestling fan and you probably are if you're listening to this. You want to go check out some more wrestling. It's a half hour of your life. You'll never get back, but you'll enjoy it. Put them together. You'll have a fun time watching both of them. And uh, and that'll do it. Yeah, and that'll do it for another episode. Craig, thank you so much. Thank you. I can't believe we have another one in the bag. I I I think it's it's as in the bag as it's ever going to be. <laughs> and, and I guess people are going to download it and take it out of the bag to listen to. That's right. For Camel Clutch Cinema, the show is over. <laughs>